So we'll be looking at the church in Ephesus, and uh, next Sunday we'll uh, introduce our theme for the year. But for now, we will be content with just looking at Ephesus. Ephesus was an amazing city. Um, Ephesus is still uh, quite a great place to go uh, visit for tourists because it's pretty much um, uncorrupted by modern living. Most like if you go to Thessalonica or Athens or Corinth even, some of those places you visit this really cool ruin, and next door is like a 7-Eleven. And uh, you're like, here's a ruin, and you want to get some, some 7-Eleven? So it's like modern, they built on top of the ruins. But in Ephesus, Ephesus was completely abandoned, and so Ephesus, they actually are uh, excavating the entire city. So you can walk to Ephesus, walk through the streets. Jenny and I got a chance to do that uh, a couple years ago with the Balshas and other disciples as well. You got to walk through these streets. It was in a massive city. A quarter million people live there. It's a big city because it's on a port. Uh, it's on a, in a harbor. The, it no longer reaches the harbor, by the way, but it used to. And it was on a main thoroughfare through Turkey. And so the, uh, there's kind of a map, if you're unsure of where Ephesus is. It's on the western side, the western coast of modern-day Turkey. And you can see Corinth there in, in southern Greece. We'll, we'll hit Corinth a little bit today as well. It's important to know because this is, uh, you can see Jerusalem. You can see the word of God in the book of Acts as it begins to spread. Yeah. It spreads north up into Galatia. We get the, the book Galatians, right? Ephesia, uh, Ephesians comes from, it was written to the, uh, Ephesus there. Uh, Troas, Thessalonica, Philippi, all these are cities that we see in the book of Acts. But Ephesus is a special city because it contains one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, you know, the pyramids, right, in Egypt and uh, the Colossus of Rhodes and the Lighthouse of Alexandria. Well, this is the Temple of Artemis, uh, which is in uh, Ephesus at this time. This is massive structure. When you walk into Ephesus, right, you would have been bumping into people, all different types of people, massively diverse. Even to this day, uh, I think... Ephesus is really similar to any of our modern-day cities because when you walk into Ephesus, um, archaeologists have found uh, inscriptions uh, in the stone. One of the inscriptions they found is actually a, um, a symbol of a foot, which was an ancient symbol of uh, a, a path basically to a house of prostitution. So you went there and so you'd look for the foot and you'd actually know where to go if you wanted to engage in that sort of sin, right? Now you also would find they found little symbols similar to the foot of a menorah. And so it was actually to where to point you in the direction of where the synagogue was. So the Jews, so you literally could choose between, like, you know, like, am I going to go to the house of God or, or a house of prostitution here? And so you see that just as anybody living in Ephesus at that time would be kind of encountered by the choices that, you have, that we have to make every day. It's a similar life. It's a similar struggle. And so when the disciples arrive in Ephesus to plant this church, it's a, it's a, a city that has uh, this massive temple, massive uh, idolatry. There's also a, a, a temple to the Roman governor, the, so the Roman uh, Caesar, uh, uh, to Augustus. Uh, it's, it's a lot like what we'd see today, basically. And I wanted to look at this because this is a church that becomes quite successful. Um, it becomes quite strong. It actually becomes kind of the launch pad for a lot of churches in Asia, and, uh, at least in, in, in the Asian province of the Roman Empire. And so I, wanted, I began to look at it, and I began to inquire, and I began to wonder, what makes a church strong? What makes a church? How do you go from a church where is a quarter million people, uh, there's any day, I mean, you could, you could be overwhelmed by the, 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 the pressure of government, the pressure of worshiping government and the, the, the imperial cult, the pressure of worshiping and getting engaged in sin and the house of prostitution there. In fact, the temple of Artemis, Artemis was a god. She was a fertility goddess. And so even in worshiping her often, it was very highly sexual and highly impure. And so you can see that it's, it's a city that 
it's, it's just like what we have to deal with today. As we encounter our world of internet access, our world of, of, of relationships that are not godly, perhaps, that ha- are maybe sexually inappropriate, or, or even our world of putting our hope and stock in, for them, it would have been Rome. And for us, it may be, um, it may be politics, it may be our job, it may be success. But this is a place I began to think, well, man, we're approaching 2020, right? It's a new year. And we're approaching 2020, and there's, there's sometimes every year there's a lot of excitement about a new start, but sometimes, and maybe even now, there's a bit of an uneasiness about the year of what, what will happen this year. Will, will we get more divided, kind of on a broad scale? Will there be violence? Will there be, and we've, we've, we've experienced these things in our country. We've experienced these things in our city, right? And so I began to think, well, we can't win the war of division and conflict out there until we, we win the battle in here. Yep. And then we, we really can't win the battle right. in here until we win the fight in here. That's right. And so but maybe beginning 2020 is really about taking a look at just those few people who planted the Ephesian church and what they did to be able to plant something with deep foundation to last the test of time. Hundreds of years, this church, this church would last longer than that temple. That temple is going to be destroyed just a few hundred years from this moment, uh, from when Paul and Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila arrive in Ephesus. The church will outlive this building. The question is, is will the church here in Charlottesville and Harrisonburg outlive the things around us? And it's a very real possibility that it doesn't if we don't take a moment to really take stock of what's most important in our walk with God. Let's begin in Acts chapter 18. The church in Ephesus, we're going to begin here. Actually, it was pretty cool. Uh, the Bruns from Cincinnati came recently and preached on this, uh, preached on many texts, but one of the texts they preached on was this one. Uh, it's about a guy named Apollos. And so it's interesting to know that Paul goes on his uh, missionary journey to plant churches. And he goes to these places and he goes to the synagogue. So he followed the menorah, praise God. Paul followed the menorah. He would go to the synagogue uh, and he would begin to share about Jesus. And so he would go around. And what's interesting about Ephesus is that it's not a church necessarily initiated by Paul. He's part of it, but another couple people actually kind of get going. Paul is going through Ephesus, and he decides to leave a couple friends there. He leaves Priscilla and Aquila there to, I guess, wait for him until he returns on his way back. And now Priscilla and Aquila, they're not going to sit on their hands. Let's see what they're up to here in Acts 18, 24. It says, Meanwhile, A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, that's Corinth, by the way, if you look at the map, go back to Greece. When Apollos wanted to go back to Greece, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate. Oh, I love that sentence. He vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, right? Proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. While Apollos was in Corinth, so Apollos is gone at this point. He's left. He's not in Ephesus. He's back in Greece. While Apollos is at Corinth, Paul took the road 
through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they, took, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 of them in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left. He took the disciples with him and had discussions in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Really cool. So apparently what had happened is that Paul uh, would go to the synagogue to, to share his faith with these Jews, right? And the idea there is that the Jews already have a foundation, right? They believe in Yahweh. They believe in God. And so we're going to build on that by teaching about Christ. Now, at some point, they become obstinate, stiff-necked. Uh, the word in Greek is actually their hearts became hard. They, our hearts were hardened to it. So Paul said, all right, adios. I'm going to go. He apparently finds a professor, sort of like a Dean Bassett of sorts, finds a, 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 a professor called Tyrannus, and he decides to exchange teaching times. Now, it's said in the, in the Middle East that more people were asleep uh, at 1 p.m. than 1 a.m. It's so hot, as you can imagine, in the middle of the day that uh, Tyrannus wouldn't teach during the middle of the day. It's just, it's just too hot. Everyone goes and has a siesta of sorts. Everyone goes to sleep. So Paul said, well, how about I teach, you know, how about I have the lecture hall uh, during everyone's siesta? And so Tyrannus says, well, sure, go ahead, have at it. So for two years, Paul works a double shift. He works as a tent maker in the morning till 11 a.m. When everyone goes to sleep, he says, hey, whoever wants to come, I'm preaching, I'm teaching. Teaches from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Everyone comes back, and then he goes back to tent making. So Paul, obviously, an incredible work ethic here in terms of what it meant to, to give his heart to establishing a church in Ephesus. Uh, really, really quite outstanding, his denial of self and his effort to make it work. But I wanted to talk a, a bit about what is it that... It, that that makes this church so mature and so strong. The Ephesian church, a lot of us, our favorite book is the book of Ephesians. It's a wonderful book, and we're going to look at it together as a church. But before we do that, I thought it was important to look at the background of this church. Isn't it interesting, the first story we get? Now, Luke, Luke wrote this book of Acts. So Luke's telling these stories for a reason. And if, if Paul's in Ephesus for two years, potentially three years, you think Luke has a lot of stories to tell? I, I imagine he does. But he chooses these stories. To tell us. Why? Why would Luke, guided by the Holy Spirit, tell us these stories? Out of all the stories that would come from three years of being in Ephesus. And I think there is a point to what he's trying to do. Notice Apollos is, is preaching and, and he's teaching. And, and Priscilla and Aquila are there. I love Priscilla and Aquila, right? It's a man and woman. They're a husband and wife. No one knows why Priscilla comes first in the Bible. Uh, it's pretty rare, actually, to name the wife first. But she's named first. Maybe she was pretty legit. I don't know. But Priscilla and Aquila, she's, uh, she's, she's there. He's there. And then they're listening to, to Apollos preach. And they're going, this guy's solid. He knows his scriptures. He's preaching with fervor. The literal Greek says he was aglow with the spirit. This guy's no slouch and probably a very intimidating person. I can't imagine hearing somebody like this. But then the, the alarm starts to go off. You ever done that when you turn on the radio on and you're listening to a sermon on the radio? You're like, this is good. And all of a sudden you go, oh, no. Um, 
Or this is a good sermon. Oh, oops. Um, there's an alarm that goes off at some point where you go, I got to eat the meat and spit out the bones here. I got to figure out. I got to figure out if what he just said is actually biblical or if it's found, you know, foundational in the scriptures. Which is wonderful because Priscilla and Aquila realize he's missing something. And they challenge him in front of everyone. No, they don't. What do they do? They invite him into their home. I love that. I love this idea of warm, warm evangelism, right? Hey, would you like to have dinner with us? So they have dinner with Apollos, and they explain to him the word of God more accurately. And it says Apollos goes on from there. Uh, and, then, and then Paul, he's in, he's in Ephesus now, and Apollos leaves and goes, and by the way, Paul, uh, or Apollos helps plant Corinth, which is one of the problems in Corinth, because if you remember in Corinthians, um, they're, they're having, if you read 1 Corinthians again, they're having some Apollos-Paul um, uh, rivalry. Uh, not, not the actual rivalry. They were cool. Those guys were buds. But the church was trying to pit them against each other. So Apollos goes to help the church in Corinth. Paul stays in, in Ephesus, and he finds some disciples. And he meets them, and he asks them a question. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Which begs the question, um, maybe it was kind of evident that they did not, which is kind of convicting. But Paul realizes these people might not be spirit-led. So he asks them a question. Do you have the Holy Spirit? And they go, we don't even know that there is one. I, it's kind of amazing. Imagine if somebody asked you that today after service. Yeah, after meeting you for a few minutes. Um, do you have the Holy Spirit? Because it just doesn't seem like it. Um, that's pretty much what Paul does, right? Pretty much what Paul does. And they say, no, we don't. what is that? What is the Holy Spirit? What is that thing? And so Paul says, okay, well, let me teach you about, about that as well. And, and then he begins to go on. Now, it's great. Now, after those two encounters, now they can go preach in the synagogues. Now they can go preach in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. To a great sentence in the, in, in the book of Acts, everyone in all of Asia, and not our Asia, but the Asian province of Rome, heard the word of God. What a great, what a great way to finish out that beginning point of this, this section on Ephesus. So why these stories? Sometimes the Apollos passage, if you've been around the church a bit, sometimes this passage, we've used it in, I think, a way that is not exactly um, on great exegetical soil. Basically, I'm not firm standing with what the Bible, I think, what Luke's trying to tell us. Apollos is a very charismatic person. And sometimes in the church, we tend to follow the charismatic people. We try to look for somebody. It happens a lot in the, in the pitfalls of leadership. We say, well, they're charismatic, so they, must be, they should be a leader. And, you know, someone who's charismatic obviously has great gifts, but there's not all the gifts. I mean, we talk about extroverts, introverts, right? And introverts can be outstanding leaders, right? right? But, we, so, but sometimes we just kind of get sucked into this idea of charisma. And it would have been easy for Priscilla and Aquila to say, this guy is charismatic. He is preaching. He knows his stuff. Sure, he's a little off on the whole baptism of Jesus thing. But, hey, you know, I don't know. He's mostly there. Let's just kind of not talk about it. And let's just work together. And I think a lot of times the mistake we make, I want to talk just as a family, okay? It's easy to think about how can, sometimes we read this passage and we go, oh, we got to go find the Apollos' out there. I think that we got we to gotta really take stock and realize we can't go out to the synagogues of the world, the lecture hall of Tyrannus of Charlottesville, until we're really unified in here. Priscilla and Aquila realize how important it is to be unified on belief. And this isn't about, this, it's not about a couple of things. It's not about how charismatic Apollos is, and it's not about the work ethic of Paul. And sometimes we read these stories about Apollos and Paul, 
And sometimes we think that evangelism or helping people, even discipling, even relationships in the church, it kind of becomes gotcha Christianity. It kind of becomes like, uh, have you had your quiet times this week? No. Well, you should. Gotcha. How's your purity? Oh, I messed up recently. Gotcha. And it can kind of feel like, or we have, even when we share our faith with people, right? We can find somebody and look for a chink in the armor. I mean, if you catch me on a bad week, you can find a chink in the armor, yeah. right? Anybody can do Then we, we can guilt trip, and then we don't do it on purpose, but I think sometimes we read these passages, like that's what evangelism is, and that's what love is. It's kind of gotcha Christianity. But we also realize that what's happening in this passage, in, in all these, in all these uh, verses, Luke's trying to draw a contrast. He says, listen, listen up. Apollos, he allowed himself to have the word of God explained to him. The Ephesian disciples, they were willing to listen to what they were wrong about. And the Jews in the synagogue became stiff-necked, obstinate, and hard-hearted. What is the word of God about? It's about listening. It's about being willing to be wrong. It's about having a soft heart. It's not about charisma, and it's not about work ethic, and it's not about being able to do all the things that need to be done. It's about listening. That is the great trait here extolled by Luke in Apollos and the Ephesian disciples. And the title of my sermon today is Soft Hearts, Deep Convictions. Soft Hearts, Deep Convictions. You know, the, the, the point of this, these passages is not to tell us, and sometimes we look at Apollos and a lot of times we'll even meet people in the community who are very charismatic, but maybe not doctrinally sound, perhaps, and say, oh, it's kind of like an Apollos. If we can just tweak him a little bit or tweak her a little bit, she'd be great, a great addition to the church. Um, or even with the Ephesian disciples, it'd be easy to say, hey, they just need a little bit of tweaking. And I think sometimes we forget that we can, sometimes our walk in Christianity, our walk with God becomes too much about knowledge, becomes too much about knowledge. What do I mean by that? I think I think sometimes we read these passages and we go, oh, Apollos was just lacking some knowledge. He just needed some data input. He just needed some Bible trivia from somebody. And then he was going to be okay. Then he could pass the church entrance exam and be able to get in. Oh, and the Ephesian disciples, they were just lacking some knowledge. That's what this is about. And even sometimes I think in our walk, we struggle to be good listeners. We struggle to listen to the word of God. We have a hard time listening to each other. In a discipling relationship, we have hard hearts often. And I think sometimes because we think it's about knowledge. Don't tell me what I know, what I, should, I know more than you know, or I know what I'm supposed to know. Or, hey, bro, this ain't about knowledge. I'm not going to go to midweek because I'm not learning anything. Oh, I'm going to not go to midweek or I'm not going to go. Why would I go? I don't, want, I'm not, I don't get anything out of it. Right? This is how we talk. I don't get anything out of our family group. I'm not learning anything. It's about knowledge. And this, Luke is trying to tell us, hey, listen, it's not about knowledge. What was Apollos missing? Think about it for a second. What was Apollos missing? He had the baptism of John, which means he did not have the baptism of Jesus. What is the baptism of Jesus? What is that? What is the baptism of Jesus compared to in Romans 6, right? When we get baptized, we partake in what? The death of burial, and resurrection of Christ, which means Apollos was missing what? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
That is vastly important. And not for knowledge. Because Apollos is missing grace. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Repentance is, right, changing behavior. Before Jesus, it was just, let me just change my behavior. When Jesus comes, it's, oh my gosh, because of Jesus and because of God's love, I need to now reorient my life. Did you pick up on it after Apollos goes and has the Bible study at Priscilla and Aquila's? Uh, You pick up on what it says. It says in verse 27, back in chapter 18, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. Something's added. It's not just like, oh, he learned a little bit more about God. No, Apollos actually, he wasn't motivated by grace. He didn't, have, he didn't know about grace. And can't you imagine Priscilla and Aquila's hearts? And it becomes a little bit more clear now why they probably reached out to him. Because they realize this is somebody who's incredible. He's a great speaker. He knows about, he's a great person. He's got his ducks in a row. But he doesn't know about grace. And that saddens us. That deeply saddens us. You're not grace-led. You're not grace-motivated, Apollos. We want to come and we want to talk to you. I love the warm evangelism example of Priscilla and Aquila. And I think we got to have, we got to follow in their footsteps to have some warm interactions. Because I think the conversation with Apollos might go different if they're not warm about it. Maybe, right? But if you, we can't begin, we cannot begin to be unified. We can only be unified as a church is if we can have conversations about which we disagree. Right? We have to. Well, we do disagree. We do. About a lot of things. But we, can, we, do, we cannot opt for, oh, you know what, Apollos is missing something but let me just, I'm sure it's fine. I, I have to go, bye. You know, like I'll come to church once a week and we're not gonna talk about it. If we're going to be able to have deep convictions, we gotta have soft hearts. And we gotta be willing to have those conversations. But you can only be willing to have a conversation that might be tough if you have a soft heart. If you're gonna be rigid and hard-hearted and react and raise your voice and be dismissive and patronizing and not listen, then we're not going to succeed in being a church with deep convictions. And not gonna, we're not going to outlast the temple of Artemis. But I love the example of they invited him in and they had a conversation, right? Now, how about Paul? Paul? Paul's there. What are the Ephesian disciples missing? They're missing a really similar thing. They're missing the Holy Spirit, a massive, massive part of what it means to be a Christian. And in the same way, as Apollos was not grace-led, the Ephesian disciples were not spirit-led. So what does that mean? What did Paul and Priscilla and Aquila see that prompted them to share their faith, that prompted them to love? Was it an inadequate knowledge? Was it a lack of, um, I don't know, adherence to a standard? In all likelihood, it was actually a, a moral deprivation that actually they saw in Apollos that he wasn't motivated by grace. That affects behavior. That affects your faith. That affects obedience. And if you're not spirit-led, what are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Peace, patience, joy, kindness. If you don't have those in your life, you're just a bunch of religious people. But their lives aren't changed. The church in Ephesus begins with people who are willing to listen because they have soft hearts and they want to change. 
And I want to ask us the question this morning, are we willing to change this year in 2020? Are you open? Are you open to having a soft heart? Maybe there's a good question to ask this one. I used to ask this in Bible studies, and I still ask it sometimes. But I sit down with somebody, and I can tell if they're a bit stiff-necked. I say, I understand that you're very compassionate about your stance. Are you willing to be, are you willing to be wrong? And they say no, and I say, what are we doing here? You're not changing your mind. It's nice to meet you, but I'll see you later. If you're not willing to be wrong, and they usually understand, they're usually like, oh, man. They usually smile, you know, they're like, yeah, I guess I'm wrong, but I'm not. I'm willing to be wrong, but I'm not wrong. You know, like, okay, well, what's the baby step? We'll keep going that direction. But are we willing to be wrong? And you say, no, I, I know, I know what I know. You know what's great about knowing Jesus is you never know him completely. We're just, even if you get to know, I've been a Christian for 10 years. Congratulations. You're just beginning to plumb the depths of what it means to know Christ. I know, I know a lot. I know how to strategically, I know how to create a, a group. I know how to help. I know this. I, hey, listen, we need that in the church. But more than that, we need soft hearts. Because as Apollos will probably teach, and as Paul definitely says to the church in Corinth, knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. And love begins with listening. Listening. It's really hard to listen. I'm really bad at it, by the way. I'm a really bad listener. Um, I remember in my first dating relationship, I would talk on the phone. I used to be talking on the phone once a week. Uh, for like, I think we had an hour, hour and a half, once a week on the phone. And my first girlfriend, she's great. She's married. She's a disciple. She's in the Kansas City Church. Wonderful, wonderful friend of mine. But she used to tell these long stories. And I can't hang in long stories. It's just... I can't hang. So she would tell these long stories, and I would begin to get tired of putting my hand up to my ear. So I'd put the phone on my chest, and I would just hear like, murmur, murmur, murmur. And then when it ended, I, I turned it into a game, because I only like things if they're games. So I turned it into a game, and I said, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna try to play this off, see if she can catch me. A little bit of risk, a little bit of fun. So I, when, I, when the murmur, murmur would stop, I would take out the phone, and, and I would say my phrase. I try not to say it anymore because I've been caught mostly by Jenny, but I would say my catch-all phrase, it's gold, by the way, is I would say, that's crazy, which you can say to anything and get away with it. And so, because if it's a sad story, you can say, that's crazy. And it's just, I know, it's just awful. And you go, yeah, I know, it is awful. If it's, if, if, that's crazy. It is crazy. It's wild. It is wild. So that's crazy works in a lot of ways. So anyway, I did that, and then we broke up, and it was, you know, we moved on. But... Um, uh, and by the way, she told me when she met Chandler, her now husband, that she knew he was right for her because he was nothing like me. That's what she said. So anyway, we're, we're good friends. Um, uh, no, she's, she's an outstanding disciple. Chandler's a great disciple there in Kansas City. Uh, I, think they have, I think they're waiting on their second kid at this time. So anyway, love you, Alicia, if you're there. Uh, great friend. But sorry about all that stuff from a long time ago. Okay. But it's difficult to listen. But listening communicates love. If you can, right? If you can listen, you can, you can hear, you can remember. You ever have somebody remember something you told them and you're like, I don't even remember I told you that. But when they remember, you go, oh, they remembered, right? When someone remembers something, it's powerful to you. Something, and so listening, and God wants us to know, and Luke wants us to know, don't give up on listening. And the challenge for this year, I want to encourage us, are we willing to listen? When that person says, I want to talk, I want to have a, I want to have a discussion, 
I want to talk with you about something. I'm concerned that you're not spirit-led. How will you respond? Will you bite their head off? Will you be defensive? Will you say, I'm not spirit-led. You're not spirit-led. Start with that. You know, what will you... And I don't think anybody's going to have that type of conversation, but I do think we do see sin in each other. And I do think that in this church, at times, we can stop talking about it because we're afraid of what it might cost. And maybe those conversations haven't gone so well in the past. And maybe we can get fatigued. And it it can be difficult. It can be fatiguing to go deep. But we must go deep if we're going to withstand the winds and the waves that will come inevitably in our country, in our city, in our families. We have to go deep, church. We have to have soft hearts. These are not merely doctrinal issues, but these are issues of character in Apollos and the Ephesian disciples. They're issues of obedience. They're issues of faith. Imagine if we were that kind of church. Now, why is it so important to listen? Not only gives us soft hearts, it allows us to have deep convictions. It also allows us to know when we're wrong. And we're not always going to see things clearly. We have to have people speak up and share things and say things. And amen, if you're going to say something, please follow the path of Priscilla and Aquila. Be warm about it, okay? Make them dinner or something. You know, I can make you dinner. We come over. And go, oh, no, they're going to get me. You know, but <laughs> let's be warm about these types of conversations. But we all, if we've repented and been baptized, we all have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We cannot risk ignoring him. We have to be able to listen and have these types of conversations. You know, Jesus did not come to bring the, the kingdom of God. Like Paul, it says here that Paul talked about the kingdom of God in the synagogue, right? Jesus didn't come to bring the kingdom of God with some kind of superior strategy, with some kind of, right. some kind of, of, of new path of what it'll mean. We don't need louder voices in this world. Man, the voices are so loud. We don't need louder, and that's what I think the strategy is now, is louder voices, bigger, you know, bigger plans, bigger strategies, more money, more protests, uh, a better diss, a better slam, a better roast. It's just all about being louder, bigger, stronger, and it helps nobody. It divides, and it doesn't allow us to have what we need, a conversation. And a lot of people want to have conversations. In the last 10 years, Uh, Psychologists have noted that we're more connected than ever, but depression keeps increasing. Social anxiety, social isolation keeps increasing, but we have, we're more connected. I can text any one of you right now. Oh, I'm connected. But we're missing, we're not deep. We have people, humans, we've been created by God in his image. We have to have deep connection. And praise God, it doesn't have to be with 90 people. Just pick a couple. Just have two, three, but to have a deep connection. Jesus came to bring a kingdom of God that would be ushered in by a a lamb led to the slaughter. That Jesus, a smoldering wick, would not snuff out. A bruised reed he would not break. That Jesus came to bring a kingdom on a cross. He didn't write down a single word and the world was changed because of his life. That he loved people. That he spoke the truth to people. That he took care of the widow. That he had conversations with the prostitutes, that he was able to spend time with the malign, the marginalized of society. Jesus did not ever once lift a sword or raise an army or levy a tax, but he changed the world. That's what one life can do, a life of humility. Jesus said, I could never do what I haven't seen the Father do. Jesus was okay with being a student. 
right? And he was okay with being wrong. You go, no, Jesus was never wrong. Well, I don't know. In the garden in Gethsemane, he prays that prayer, doesn't he? He says, God, I don't want to do this. This is not my will. I don't, but amen, let your will be done. Even Jesus was okay. As a son, Hebrews 5 says, Jesus suffered as a son. He was able, he was eager to be a student. He was able to have a soft heart. That's what affects people. That's what changes lives. Great parents are not those who are strong and soldier on. Great parents are the ones who are okay to being wrong and having a conversation with their kids about why they were wrong. Let's talk about convictions, daughter. I blew it. I'm sorry. Humility is what changes the world. Let's not forget the foundation on which the kingdom is built. We need more soft hearts than anything, not more knowledge, not more Bible trivia, not more, not more judgment. We got to have soft hearts and deep convictions. We can't get by with knowing what we believe. We must go down to why we believe it. Amen. I've heard a lot in the church in the last few months about different things. I don't get why uh, uh, you say, I don't get why the church stance. There's always a church stance. But I don't know where the church stance comes from, but um, there's always a church stance on something. That I'm unaware of. I don't get the church stance on why you can't, why you can't date non-Christians. It's so uh, do. And I always ask the same question. I always say, well, what's your, what's your belief on it? What's your, what are your thoughts? And they go, well, I just think experience, experience. This is my thought. This is my thought. And I say, well, what scriptures do you have? Well, I don't, I don't like how we, I don't like how, and, okay, listen, I've been wrong before. I'm willing to be wrong. You show me a scripture right now in the Bible that says, hey, date whoever as long as they're good hearted. I'll change. I will. I'll follow that. If you can point it, point me to it. Did I miss it? We're, I'm willing to be wrong, and I'm wrong a lot. You guys know. We're, I mean, we're wrong. It's okay, but we got to be okay with being wrong. It's when we get puffed up and defensive that things start to go down the wrong way. We got to know why we believe. We got to know why we, we, we date who we date. And we do. And please, if you're curious, ask me my conviction on it. Don't silently suffer and silently be bitter and then walk away and say the church is blah, blah, blah. You didn't talk about it. You didn't address it. The church is mean and you can't disciple and they won't let me do this. They won't let me do that. And let's talk about it. Golly. Let's, let's not give up on having those conversations because when we discover, and we may not end up agreeing but we have a mutual respect that we listen to each other. I can't make you guys do anything. There's no, I, there's no church stance. I, I can show you what I believe. I can show you scripture and I can beg you. I can say, this is what I believe with all my heart because of what the scripture says. It's up to you what you do. You can do whatever you like, but I, I hope that we realize that we serve a God who's saying, look at Apollos and all his charisma. Doesn't impress me. He was willing to listen. Look at the Ephesian disciples and how consistent they were. They were there in Ephesus. There was only 12 of them. A, mix, a quarter million. They're so strong and steadfast. No, they were willing to be wrong. They were willing to have the word explained to them. They were willing to get help. This is what the challenge is for us in the new year. I want to close out with John Wesley. John Wesley said, Come ye weary and heavy laden, bruised and mangled by the fall. If you wait until you're better, you'll never come at all. And I, we gotta, we got we to gotta come to each other when we're bruised and mangled. we got to go to each other and say, hey, it's okay. If you're going to say something bad, just give the preface. Say, I'm not in a good place. 
and let me know if I'm prideful and let me know if I'm wrong and let me know if I'm bitter. But here it is. Okay, I'm all of them. Okay, amen, right? But we got to continue to have those types of conversations. Ephesians, many decades later, the author of Ephesians would write this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in you. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, to know that this love surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. No matter how old we are in the faith, no matter how much we may know, we are only beginning to plumb the depths of what it means to know Christ. And if we are going to withstand the temple of Artemis here in Charlottesville, if, we, if the church, and the church will, God has withstood much greater and more you know, damning prospects, right, than, than the government or, or, or our, our local experience here, God will survive. His word will always live on. The question is, is can we allow that word to help us to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ? Let's listen this year. Let's have soft hearts this year. And let's have deep convictions this year. Amen. To God's Lord. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Seth Mitchell, and if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, you can go to blueridge.church or join us at Burnley Moran Elementary School at 7 p.m. Wednesdays or 10.30 a.m. Sundays in Charlottesville, Virginia. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.